0: Right. Well, good morning to everyone and welcome to the well here at STSA on a momentous day because we are back live. And I know we were live last week, but it was Father Abraham speaking to you. So for me, this is my first time to speak in front of a live studio audience since March. And March was a long time ago. March was, in case you would get a little context, March was back when we used to shake people's hands. OK, we used to blow out birthday candles with our mouth, not with our fingers. And we used to wear pants seven days every single week. If you can imagine that, that was back in March. And if no other reason, I'm so excited to be here, not just to like see people face to face. And of course, there's like an energy and a spirit that comes. But, you know, the number one reason that I'm happy to be preaching in front of a live people versus a camera. This should come as, this is an easy one. Because finally, I get to hear laughter to my jokes, okay? Because you don't know how hard it is to tell a joke to a camera and then just, oh, you know, know what's on the other side. So I'm expecting you people right here to bring it, okay, today that I got some jokes that I worked in right here and I'm expecting some energy on the jokes, okay? Some laughter and if not, we're going to have to get that soundtrack and thank you very much in the back. I appreciate that. Like Katie said, we're starting a new series today called Jesus for President, and whether you are here in person or you're here watching on this camera, I got a question for every single one, and that is this. Who's got your vote? (laughs) I would like an answer to that question. Who's got your vote? Have you decided who you're voting for? Are you still debating? Are you still listening to some of the discussions? And how many people, as I'm throwing this up here on the screen, are getting a little bit uncomfortable? Because you think I'm talking about voting for president? No, 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 no. That's an important election for sure. But I'm talking about a much more important election. Not for a president, but for a king. And the election for the president is something that's going to impact you for the next four years. But the election for the king is something that could last the impact into eternity. The election for the president will affect some of your day-to-day life. But the election of a king will impact everything that you do from now to the day you die. In that election... There's one day, you place one vote, and the results last four years. In this election, every single day you get to vote, and every single day you get to make a choice about who is the ruler of your life. In that election, you know this, this year more than ever, you always have two guys screaming at each other. Okay, each one talking over the other one, each one trying to get in your face and give me your vote and this person's bad and if you vote for this, there's always two guys screaming and in your face. And then there's always the third piddly guy who shows up on the ballot, and no one ever knows his name. He never gets invited to the party. Okay, once back in like 94 with Perot, Ross Perot, he got invited or something like that, whatever year that was. But other than that, the third guy is just kind of thrown in the corner, but his name is on the ballot. In this election, it's kind of the same way. You will find certain candidates, okay, and I'll use that word candidates loosely, who are in your face, screaming for your vote. And they're trying to get you to say, you're the ruler of my life. And a lot of them are no good. A lot of them are very bad, they're evil. You'll find things like lust screaming in your face, things like your ego. And your pride and me screaming in your face. Things like the pleasure of this world, greed, money, you name it. There's a lot of things that are screaming, 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 screaming. Vote for me. Make me the ruler of your life. And they're bad. But then also, there's things that are screaming for your vote that aren't bad. But they just don't belong in office. There's things like your family, which is not bad. But should it be the ruler of your life? Your relationships. Your relationships. Not bad, but should they be the ruler of your life? All the candidates, other than the one I'm going to speak about in a second, other than our candidates, have one thing in common, which is that they are constantly in your face, in all of our faces, trying to get into the position of ruler of our lives. Your ego will never let you go until he's ruler. Pride, greed, selfishness, lust, and again, then those good things. Your kids Okay, your family, your relationships, they'll all be your career, always be in your face to try to get to that first place. And then comes the final candidate who has a completely different strategy, as we're going to see here in this series. His strategy is not in your face whatsoever. His strategy is, is very strange. It's gentleness. It's meekness. It's not coming to be served, not coming to be an authority, but coming actually to serve. The truest sense of the word, okay, a word that gets thrown around a lot, philanthropy. You hear that word philanthropy? And basically, it just means someone who wants a big tax break, because oftentimes what it means, okay? Someone who wants a tax break is philanthropic because he wants a tax break. Well, the true meaning of philanthropy, and we know what the word means itself, it means the lover of mankind, it means love of man. True philanthropy, truly seeking not himself, but truly seeking the good of those who will be casting the votes. And that obviously is our Lord Jesus Christ. And the goal of this series, we're gonna take a look at of it today in the next five weeks, is what does it mean? What does it mean to cast your vote for Jesus? What does it mean to make Jesus the ruler of my life? And I know those are big words. We're gonna to try to break it down and make it practical. I'm gonna start off here with this verse, from Matthew chapter six, verse 24. It says, simply, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And we're going to take that word mammon out and say you cannot serve God and fill in the blank. You fill in the blank, whatever it is you want. And notice that Jesus is not saying you should not serve two masters. That's not what the verse is saying. He's not saying you should not, or it's a bad idea, or it'll get you in trouble. He's saying it's not possible. Like it's not physically possible to go both north and south at the same time. If you can figure out a way, you're smarter than me. It's not possible to go east and west. It's not possible to serve blank and God at the same time. They're opposite directions. So you must make a decision. Now, before I get too far into this, I want to make a couple of assumptions, okay? And you agree with me on these assumptions, okay? Two simple assumptions. First one, I think you'll agree pretty simply on. The second one, you might not like it as much. Assumption number one, everyone, everyone serves someone or something. Everyone has a master. That's the first assumption. And it can only be one. Like again, back to, you only get one vote. Okay. So you cannot serve, like you cannot make your career and your kids your, your highest priority. You can't. It's, it's not possible that both of them can be the highest priority. Everyone has someone that they serve or something that they serve. Okay. Everyone agree with me on that one? Everyone has a master. The second one you might not like as much. The second assumption you have to agree with me, is that just because we want that ruler of our lives and that master of our lives to be God, just because we think it's God, doesn't mean necessarily that it is. Say that another way. We can fool ourselves. Self-deception is something that we're very good at. Actually doesn't take any training. Like you all know, no pointing, but you know, Do you know somebody who thinks they're funny, but they're not? Yeah. Do you know an old guy who thinks he's a young guy? Or a a parent, kids, okay, so we got some kids here, who thinks they're the cool parent, but they're not? No one should be looking at me and pointing at me because I am both cool and funny, okay? But others out there, come on, we all know people who who deceive themselves. The person who thinks, for example, you may be the person who thinks you're sacrificing for the sake of your children and for the sake of your wife, but it's not. It's your career. It's your ego. It's your reputation. And you think you're doing it for their sake, but you're not because they're telling you we don't want it. Or maybe it's the mom who thinks that she's protecting the children. I'm trying to protect the children, but it's not. She's not serving the children. She's serving her own fear. That's who's, who's ruling her life. It's the fear of the unknown. It's the fear of what could happen. So come on, you agree with me. We are masters at self-deception. We've been doing it. This is the beginning of a creation and it will never stop. So based on those two assumptions, let me ask you again. Who's got your vote? Who is ruling your life? What occupies first place in your life? Be honest. You don't got to tell me, like I'm not going to collect your answers at the end of this thing, but be honest. Is it God that keeps you up at night? Is it like his laws? And how can I more obey? How can I serve him better? How can I honor him more? I'm not saying that it's not, but I'm asking you the question. Is it his commandments that govern the way I treat other people, the way I speak to my wife, the way I act with my boyfriend, the way I am at work when no one's watching, the way I am at home when the TV's on and there's no one around. Is it God's commandments that are governing my actions? Is it him that is first priority with my money? Is he first priority in my money? And number one thing I think of when I get more is how I can give more. Keep on going down the list. Is God number one when I plan my vacation? Is God number one when I approach my career? Is God number one when I get, like I said, a bonus? I want to figure out how to spend that bonus. Is God number one when I look at my five-year plan, my 10-year plan, my 20-year plan? Is God number one when I talk about my dreams or what it is that I want out of life? Is God number one in all those things? Or it simply, who is it that's getting my vote? If you're wondering why this is so important, I'm going to give you the key thought of this series right now, and this is going to guide the rest of our discussion for the next five weeks. Living in God's kingdom requires submission to God's kingship. See how that works? Living in God's kingdom, which we all want, requires has a criteria, a prerequisite, submission to God's kingship. If there's no kingship, there is no king. Dumb. And this is logic. Think about it in the olden days. You think about it before, okay, there was established countries and things like that. I'm a king, all right, and I'm the ruler. How do I know where my territory ends and the next ruler and the next territory begins? Like, here's my kingdom, the kingdom of, you know, what was it in Game of Thrones? Like the the the, come up with an imaginary name. Kingdom of Leesburg. Okay, the kingdom of Leesburg, okay, that's what we'll go with. Okay, so how do I know where the kingdom of Leesburg ends and the kingdom of Ashburn begins? How do I know where my kingdom ends and the next kingdom begins? It's simple. If I go to this place, which king do you obey? This king or that king? You obey this king, you're part of my kingdom. If I go to this house where you obey, here or here, you're part of my kingdom. Once I hit a place where the people start obeying that king and their allegiance is to that king, that's not my kingdom. Does this make sense? You cannot live in his kingdom and have an allegiance to another king. That makes you outside the kingdom. That's the definition. So if I move up to Canada, and I say, I would like to enter into Canada and I would like to live in the kingdom of Canada. They say, okay, do you submit to the laws of Canada? Do you have allegiance to the, the, the president or the, the, the king of Canada? I don't know what Canada is governed by, a prime minister or a czar or, you know, do you, do you have allegiance to the, 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 the head of Canada? And if the answer is no, then I'm sorry. You cannot be in the kingdom of Canada. Does this make sense? I'm not talking theology right here. I'm just talking logic. Well, the same is true spiritually. Jesus even gave us this this connection. You, every time you pray for God's kingdom, what do you say right after? You say, God, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's no kingdom without submission to his authority and his will. So I cannot say thy kingdom come, but I don't want to do thy will. Well, then it's your own kingdom. That is not my kingdom. Do you see where I'm going with this? You cannot disconnect the kingdom of God from the kingship of God. And it's seen throughout the scriptures. I'll give you just one verse, but this verse, I, I, there's many examples. You see it throughout the Old Testament, but St. Paul said it here in 2 Corinthians chapter six, where he said, I will be their God. God is saying that, and they shall be my people. And there's the two criteria. You, we want to be your people, then I must be your God. But if I am not your God, you are not my people. Now, here's the problem. Human nature doesn't like to submit to authority. We don't like being governed by someone else. We like self-rule. We like autonomy. We like independence. We like to call our own shots. And if you look at the history of the world from the start to the end, it's a story of God telling the people that I love you and I want to give you the best. And the best is for you is to be part of my kingdom. But to be part of my kingdom, you have to submit to my kingship. And the people saying, okay, I think that's a good idea. But then when they get a chance to sneak over here and then God brings them back in and then they sneak over here. That's the story of history from start to finish. Because man, when he's part of the kingdom and he's obeying the kingship, life is good. Life is peace. Life is stable. And then when man rebels and man wants independence and man wants autonomy and man wants self-rule, that's when things are not good and that's when they find themselves in trouble. And it's not that God kicks us out of his kingdom. This is an important point. We'll see this throughout. It's not that God kicks us out of the kingdom. It's that we kick ourselves out. So let me take that key thought I said a minute ago, the living in the kingdom requires submission to kingship. Let me say it in a negative way, because some people respond better to the negative than the positive. The negative is when you walk away from God's kingship, you walk away from God's kingdom as well. That entry into the kingdom requires submission to the kingship. But let me just say it in a more negative way. That when you choose to walk away from the kingship of God, you choose that you are kicked out, not as chosen for you. You place the vote. You get to, to cast the ballot. And when you walk away from God's kingship, you walk away from his kingdom in your life. Let's go through a quick history lesson. We'll start in Genesis chapter one, and we'll just kind of go through the highlights of history, but it's pretty much the same. God created man to be in his kingdom. created him to live in the garden. All was good. Life was good. Vegetation was good. Weather was good. No taxes, no traffic. Okay, everything was great. No COVID, no disease. Like, life was good. Kingship, kingdom, life was good. And as we say in the liturgy, that God formed us, created us, and placed us where? In the paradise of joy. So, the starting point is not earning your way into the kingdom. The starting point is there you go, given the kingdom. But there's a criteria, which is kingship. And as God created man, I want to show you a verse here from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And then this expression, let them have which you see repeated throughout. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What does the expression, let them have, signify to you? Man, at the end of this verse, has dominion. The dominion is another word for authority. So man has authority. Man is is now ruling, right? But the key verse there, a key phrase, let them have, which shows you that man's only authority in life is given to him by God. So man is not autonomous. Man is not self-rule. Man is given a gift because God not only loves mankind, but he respects mankind. And he treats us as adults. Doesn't treat us as a pet. Okay, a pet, you lock in the cage and you stick over there. And God had every right to do that. You guys just stay over there and don't play with the tree. Okay, just you stay over there. God didn't do that. God said, I give you dominion. Y'all can walk around. Y'all can eat stuff. Y'all can do stuff. Y'all can name the animals. Look how cool must that have been to give an and name to every one of those animals. God said, "You guys are ruling. You don't like you. You see the chicken? That's for you for food. You see the thing? That's for you for food. Like anything that you want. Your rule." But the key is never forget that the rule is not self-made. You didn't come up with it yourself. I gave it to you. Let them have. And he goes on next verse here, 29 and 30. See, I have given you, not that you created or you have, I have given you, there's a big difference. I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, everything that creeps on the earth in which there is is life. I have given every green herb for food. I have given, I have given, I have given. So think of it this way. Parents, we get this. We as parents, sorry kids, we have authority as parents. And then at a certain point in time, because we love our children and we respect our children, we, we want them to grow up and be mature, contributing members of society. So therefore we give them their own authority, but they must never forget who that authority came from, who it can come from and who it can go from. There's a rite of passage I remember I did with my children, rite of passage in our house was when the kids were old enough to get the remote control. Boom. Because up until a certain point it was kids sit down, daddy's got the remote control. And daddy choose and daddy loves the kids, so you want the vegetale? Okay, the vegetable. And you want the volume up, okay, volume up. And you want and daddy was in control. But at a certain point in time, I took my boy, my son, okay, the fruit. And I said, son, ah, there you go. Now you're a man. Now you can turn the volume up as you want. Now you can change the channel as you want. And it was a rite of passage. But never forget, dear son, that the one who gives the remote can do what? Take the remote. And if you abuse the remote, don't you dare think for one second, you now rule over me. Don't you dare think for one second that you run in the show now. I give it to you out of my kindness and my humility. But I'm the one with the authority and I just share it with you. Imagine if Adam had walked home after this day, come in the house. Hey Eve, good news, I'm running the show now. I'm in charge of everything around here. God, he's out of the picture right now. I'm the king, I'm the head honcho. I have authority over everything that exists right here. Okay Adam, but you're missing one key element to your authority. It was a gift. And the same way the gift was given If you abuse the gift, the gift will be removed. Adam sees that pretty soon, doesn't he? Let's fast forward the story a little bit. Adam, living in the kingdom, all good, submitted to the kingship. Everything is fine. He gets the authority, okay, and says, you can do what you want. I'm not going to lock you in a cage. I give you the authority. You can do whatever you want, but I will hold you accountable, Adam. I will hold you accountable. So if you misuse the authority, bad stuff's going to happen. Then all of a sudden, gets a little whisper. Eve gets a little whisper in her ear. And that whisper from the ears from that little serpent guy says, hey, are you sure? What's the big deal that you know that that serpent is? That's all the other candidates out there. Who's trying to get our vote, steal our vote away. But they're not saying make America great or four more years of this, or yes, we can They're not saying that stuff What they're saying is make you great again. Let's make your life great again. Cause your life's gotten boring. Let's make you great again. And they're saying you were not good these last four years. Let's make your life better. These next four years. Or they're saying, yes, we can make this change. And yes, we can do this. And they're trying to sneak in our ear and trying to get us to go against God. And the end result was they convinced Adam and Eve. And the end result for Adam, the very thing that he was trying to achieve, that autonomy, that self-rule, that I'm in control, ended up going the exact opposite direction. Genesis 3:23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden. We can substitute garden for another word, which is kingdom. He lost the kingdom. Sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, I know it says that he drove the man out. I know it says that. But again, we understand this a little bit better. We understand that God really didn't drive the man out as much as the man chose to leave the kingdom because he chose to not be submitting to the kingship of God. And once you lose the kingship, you lose the kingdom. And we know there's some experience, right? Like, let's forget about Adam and Eve. Let's look at our own life. This is our experience. We oftentimes ignore God's commandments, thinking that nothing will come of it, but it always catches up. There's never a time that you break God's commands that it doesn't catch up to you, that you don't find yourself outside the kingdom. You stop, for example, guarding your hearts and minds. You stop taking every thought captive. You stop investing in the word of God. And it's just a matter of time before what? Anxiety creeps in and fear. And all those things begin to dominate us. You stop keeping holy the Sabbath day and stop consecrating one day and stop making one day holy for God, then you, you know what you're gonna see? You're gonna start to see a lot less fruit, a lot less peace and a lot less joy in the other six days of that week. You break God's commands, it catches up to us. We're going to think that, you know, do I really need to give? And we're gonna stop investing financially in the kingdom of God. And it's just a matter of time. When we stop investing and we stop generosity and we stop giving, it's just a matter of time. For the blessing of God starts to deteriorate on our lives and we find ourselves outside the kingdom and we say, what happened? Well, the answer is very simple. That when you walk away from the kingship of God, you walk away from the kingdom of God as well. Said another way, you know, you can't actually break God's laws. You know that, right? You cannot break the law of God. The God's law cannot be broken. It breaks us. It's like the law of gravity. You can't say, I'm gonna break gravity. No, you're not. You're going to stand on the top of this church and you're going to jump. You're not going to break gravity. Gravity will break you. It's the same thing with all God's commands. You decide that you want to break one of God's commands. It's just a matter of time before it ends up breaking us. Keep going through the story. Y'all know how Adam and Eve, they got kicked out of the garden. And then the people of God started to make one bad choice after the other. Okay. We got the people at one point in time trying to build a tower to reach to God. Think of the, the intelligence level there. We're going to build a tower so big. That we don't need God whatsoever. we do not need Him telling us what to do. We're going to build a tower so high we're going to get to God. That didn't go well. Earth got so bad, God wiped it out with Noah's flood. He said, okay, let's start over again. Me as the God and them as my people. And they did good for a little, but again, rebellious, independence, ego, all about me. At one point in time, they end up finding themselves in Egypt. Slaves outside of the kingdom of God. Slaves to Pharaoh would be like the devil representing. What the people do? They said, God, we need you we're sorry. We want to be your children. And God's like, I want you to be my children. And I've been trying to give you the kingdom this whole time. We're sorry. We won't do it again. You are God. and You are King. God says, okay. Sends a savior through Moses comes down, gets them out of the bad guy, cross the Red Sea, feed them when they're hungry, give them drink when they're thirsty, guide them when they're lost and confused, wipe out the enemies, bring them into the promised land. That's the kingdom Take care of every one of your needs. Y'all need anything else? Anyone hungry? No, we took care of it. Anyone thirsty? We got you there. Anyone, it's it's dark and we don't have a light. He got to make a pillar of fire as a nightlight for you. Like, what is it you need that I didn't give you? People said, this is great. This is great. But then soon what happens? When the people have the kingdom of God and they have God as their king, comes a certain point in time, 1 Samuel chapter 6. The people said, now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But this thing displeased Samuel. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people. Heed their voice. Let them have their vote. Let them make their choice. Treat them with respect. We're not going to force them. Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you for they have not rejected you. Oh my goodness. They have rejected me that I should not reign over them. Oh my goodness. God said, yeah, thank you. Oh my goodness. I agree. God says, oh my goodness. These people, I gave them everything. And now they're saying we want a different king. They're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. This is a big deal. They didn't realize this is a big deal. You know why this is a big deal? Nation of Israel. You want a king to be like all You want to be like all the other nations. Why you want to be like the other nations? Your king is God. Why you need another king? Your king parts the sea. Your king feeds. Your king doesn't take from you. All the other kings take. All the other kings force. All the other kings require, you know, a a, a blind obedience and submission to the point of of inflicting pain. Your God is philanthropic. Your God gives. What did your God ever ask of you? God didn't force him. He told Samuel, heed the voice of the people. Let them have their vote. Democracy, freedom, election. You're going to live with the results. Who you vote for. People voted against God, voted for a king. They voted for Saul. Saul wasn't a bad guy. turned out pretty bad. But at the beginning, he wasn't so bad. The nation of Israel, man, it was just down the toilet after this. They had a few good years with David and Solomon. But after that, the kingdom was split. They went into captivity each side. And all kinds of immoral OK, and, and uh, whether it's financial, whether it's morality, whether it's, it's 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 prosperity, everything went down, down, down. Why? Because here's the key point here. Listen carefully to this. And this applies to them with this. this we, we can easily take this next thing I'm about to say and see how it applies to them. But I want you to see that it applies to us as well. We were not made to be independent. We were made to live in a kingdom with a ruler. We don't like that. We want to live independent. We want self-rule. We want to be in charge, but we were not created to rule ourselves. We were not made to be independent. We were made to be in a kingdom with a ruler. Only question is who? This is why Jesus came. This is why when, 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 when things fell apart, Jesus said, finally, you know what? You want to get a job done right? You got to come yourself. Here comes Jesus. He says, I've come arms wide open, to gather all into my arms. One flock, one shepherd, that's what he said. said, from the east to the west, from the north to the south, Jew, Gentile, male, female, none of that stuff matters. All my children, all my flock, all my family, but the key is the one ruler, the one head who is God. And if we want to live in the kingdom of the father, we must submit to the authority of the son. And we can't have one without the other. I want you to think to yourself, okay? In case, I want to make this practical. Think to yourself. Everybody think. Think of a time that you got yourself into big trouble. When you found yourself in like like the Southwest commercial, like want to get away kind of a place. Okay, like, uh uh-oh, I really messed up. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. Think of a time where you would just found yourself like, oh no, oh no, oh no, I really messed this one up. Oh God, please, I'm really, really sorry. Think of that time. I guarantee you that if you think back to that time, at some point in the story, there was an element of self-rule. There was an element of, I'm going to do this my way. There was a, I don't think I should do that, but I think I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> That's probably not going to end up good, but I mean, I want to do it. I w- no one can tell me not to. I remember um, my mom had a certain saying that she used to say, like me and my older brother, and my younger brother, we had three boys, we used to fight all the time. And she used to have a certain saying. She would say, it sounds funny, but I'll start with the laugh, end with the cry. That's what she would always say, okay? Start with the laugh, end with the cry. And what she would mean is, is we would start, and we'd start horsing around, and it's ha and wee, that's and fun. And she's like, huh? Start with the laugh, end was the cry. And we're like, no, 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 mom, we got this and we're good. And we just, you know, do whatever we do. And then all of a sudden, five minutes later, it's going to blows. Okay. And someone's probably in tears. And she would say, "Huh? told you, start with a laugh. And she would do it this way. Start with a laugh, end with that, huh. she would have us say it. end with that, cry. What I learned from that, my, my, my mom was right. We are not good at ruling ourselves. We are not good at being autonomous. Every one of us needs a ruler, needs a king. Who does Jesus compare us to? Which animals Jesus compare us to in the, in the New Testament? He says that we are like sheep. Anyone ever seen sheep by themselves, like running across the highway? Like you go in the jungle, you're like, oh no, I'm gonna get attacked by a sheep. Like sheep don't survive on their own. Like you never just see, oh, like there's the ferocious Sheep. Sheep require a shepherd. A sheep without a shepherd is dead meat. Sheep can't defend themselves. Sheep can't fight. Sheep can't clean themselves. Sheep can't get it. A- sheep can't do anything. And Jesus, out of his love for us and respect for us, says, I think you guys are kind of like, and he says, sheep. And it wasn't to insult us, it was because it was true. In the same way that you cannot have an infant without a mother. You cannot have a sheep without a shepherd. You cannot exist without a king. And doing so only puts you and I in trouble. Let me give you a great verse. Speaking of the animal kingdom here, this is a great verse, Isaiah 1.3. The ox knows its owner and the donkey, its master's crib. But Israel does not know, my people do not consider. This is my, are you smarter than a donkey verse? Are you smarter than a donkey? Because did you know that every creature, not even just creature, every creation, every creation in this universe, every creation, every star, every mountain, every river, every everything, every animal knows who's in charge. Every creation obeys the king. There's only one creation. Only one creation that God respects so much. It says, i give you guys a choice. I'll let you guys decide. The mountains don't decide. The river doesn't decide. The animals don't decide. They know. You, you're made in my image. Okay, and being in the image of God has to be freedom. Can't be slave because God is free. So in in order to be in his image, we have to have that freedom to choose. And God says, I give you the choice, but I'm telling you, you see that donkey over there? Doesn't look very smart, but he's pretty smart. Because he's smart enough to know that he needs an owner. He's smart enough to know he needs a master. And he's smart enough to know who that is. And when the master kicks, he says, Yes, sir. Oh, and the master, you know, digs the spurs in. I've never ridden a donkey, but whatever the master does, tell him to go or to come or to stay or to, 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 to sit up or do a rollover, whatever it is, he knows you obey that master. How about us? we smarter than a donkey? Are we the kid with the remote control being like, yeah, I'm in charge around here. I watch what I want to watch. Oh, really? That's not going to end well. So my prayer for this series, my prayer for this series is that it is a little bit of a slap in the face for us. A little bit of a wake-up call because I think we kind of need it a little bit, not in a rough way, but in a like, in a wake-up kind of a way. It's a wake-up call for us to ask ourselves the question: Who is our master? Who are we living for? You can only have one. You can only have one king. Can't be a country with two. A, a kingdom with two, king, two kings is not really a kingdom. Who is it we're living for? We know that we start. Like I'm giving the benefit of the doubt. The starting point is God. Everyone who's sitting here today, at one point in their life, said, "I live for God and God alone." I am not doubting that for one second. But what I'm saying is some of those other candidates may have snuck in just like the serpent did with Adam and Eve. They were in God's kingdom under his kingship. But then the serpent snuck in and kind of drew them away. So sometimes maybe it's, like I said, it's that career started to pull on us. Or maybe, like I said, it's our family. Or maybe, like I said, it's greed and it's money and it's 401ks. Or maybe it's, it's, it's safety has crept in there. Or maybe, maybe it's, 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 you know, like my grudge. And how dare they? And my me and respect me? And yeah, and I. Some of those things start to creep in. So what this series is going to be for us is to realize: look, there's a lot at stake here with how we cast our vote. That every single day that we cast a vote for the wrong person is a day that we live outside of the kingdom of God, which is the only thing that matters when all's said and done. Let me give you this verse here from Jeremiah, chapter thirty-two. Long passage, but listen carefully. I won't say anything about it. We'll just read it and we'll wrap up after that. It says, they shall be my people. This is what God's saying for us. They shall be my people and I will be their God. This is the desire of God. I will give them one heart, one way, that they may fear me forever for the good of, for the good of, say it out loud, for the good of them, not the good of him. The shepherd is not saying sheep be here for my sake. The parent doesn't benefit from the baby. The baby benefits from the parent. Come on now. I'll give them one heart, one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and for their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them and I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do good and I will assuredly plant them in this land, with all my heart, with all my soul. So who's got your vote? Who's got your vote? Who you vote for on November 3rd will have some impact on your life. Who you vote for in this election, change everything. And the important part is, listen carefully, this is where this election differs from that election. In that election, if you don't vote for that person, they may lose. In this election, if you don't vote for the right person, you will lose. Because you not voting for God as king doesn't make him not king. It just means you're outside of the kingdom. He does not cease to be master and ruler of all if you don't vote for him. You cease to be able to benefit from his rulership, from his kingdom. Because there will come a point in time where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But that day is not today. Today is the day that each one can choose. Each one can choose to cast their vote however it is they want, but realize that how you choose will impact a lot more than you may realize. And if you want to know what that means practically, well, that's the whole point of this series. Starting next week, we're going to go week by week. We're going to take one small phrase, or one part of, let me say it better, of Jesus' platform. A vote for me, and this is what it's going to look like. We're going to take one of Jesus' campaign promises, and each week we're going to look at what does it mean to live with Jesus as my king daily. We're going to look at, for example, Jesus' view on economics and on the economy. When he says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So you want to know how to be rich in God's economy? We're look at that, blessed are the meek. We're look at Jesus' view on citizenship, which is a big topic these days. He's going to say, very simple. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be my sons. Those are my my people are the peacemaker people. Foreign policy? Anyone interested in that? No problem. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Jesus can teach us how to deal with those people who are opposing us and outside of us. Bottom line is, each week we're going to look at one aspect of what does it mean to live with God as my King and how we can practice it. Why? Remind you of our key thought. Because living in God's kingdom requires submission to God's kingship. There's a phrase that we say in the divine liturgy of St. Gregory, the Gregorian liturgy. And it says, you, speaking to God, had no need of my servitude, but rather I had need of your lordship. Beautiful phrase. You, as a beautiful prayer that maybe we can incorporate into our prayers. You, God, have no need of my servitude. Like God is not up in heaven now being like, oh, when is Father Anthony going to pray? When is he going to come talk to me? I miss him. Uh, God's okay. He's doing okay. Got the angels, got the saints. Okay. As much as he would love to hear my beautiful voice singing to him, he's probably got other better voices out there singing to him. Okay. We, God, you had no need of my servitude. I'm the one who needs your lordship. That's how we need to approach this series in our lives. The days that we remember God's kingship and we embrace God's authority, those are the days we will live in the kingdom of God on earth. And The days that we resist it, those are the days that we find ourselves in trouble. And hopefully, through this series, we realize what that looks like on a day to day basis. Let's stand together for a prayer. <clears throat> in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for this series, and we thank you, Lord, for everything that you've given us a chance to serve you and call ourselves your children, which we're truly not worthy of. We repent, Lord, of all the times that we thought it was about me and about us and not realizing that it's about you. Help us through these coming weeks, Lord, to put ourselves under your authority and to realize that outside of your kingship, we'll never experience your kingdom. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the intercessions of all your saints. Here us says, we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for joining us here today. You can find us on any social media platform and feel free to share a message that inspires you with family and friends. If there's anything we can do for you, visit our website and let us know how we can help or how we can pray for you. If you aren't receiving our weekly email, please click the Stay Connected button on our website. Have a great day.